Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Maryland Week. Happy Maryland Week. Um, as I noted in the newsletter this week, it is not the most important game on the schedule in my book, but it is the most important week of the season, if only because the outcome of this game does kind of spell out a lot of what happens next. Um, obviously, from a preparation standpoint, from a you know headspace standpoint, beating Maryland is, again, not the most important game on the schedule, but is important in, in the sense of that if Syracuse wins, they'll almost definitely be hosting game day. Uh, that is that doesn't mean your program is quote unquote back, but it does mean uh, that there's a hell of a lot more attention. It's a great way for us to cash in on all this, you know, recent kind of goodwill in terms of recruits. It's a nice uh, payback for fans who've sat through a lot of really brutal seasons in recent years. Um, in, in general, just a really ex- hopefully exciting event uh, for Syracuse. But again, I do think that um, that becomes much much more likely with a win over Maryland. A loss doesn't necessarily eliminate us just because of what we're up against, but um, I think it's much more likely, obviously, with the win. Yeah, I think this is a game where, like, if you lose, you know, maybe Maryland's decent, maybe they they have a quick turnaround under Loxley. Um, it doesn't really change a lot in terms of, like, where your floor was. Like, it, you know, all the all the metrics kind of have as a toss-up game. If you win, it kind of unlocks what that, like, high-end uh, ceiling for this team uh, is expected to be. Um, and obviously because Maryland fired their coach last year and um, are going into a, you know, a ton of a different direction, obviously there were more than just wins and losses that went into that. Um, but like, it's a game you want to win if you really want to challenge for that, like second spot in the ACC where last year we kind of were by, you know, default, but this year it seems like the ACC might be maybe a little better um, in the middle and it, you know, you won't be able to just kind of walk to uh, the second place in the Atlantic or, uh, you know, being known as the second best team in the conference. So beating a, Mar- uh, you know, a middling Big Ten team, I think is pretty important if you want to like make a run at the Orange Bowl or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I know you and I like said nine and three, but we said, you know, seven and five or eight and four were definitely in the cards. I think um, a lot is going to depend on Tommy DeVito. And I think we can kind of start with him in terms of the Liberty performance. Uh, he was definitely a little off. There was... I don't want to hammer him because I because I don't think he played terribly, all things considered. But there was definitely some communications issues with the receivers that Dino Babers mentioned. Tommy also mentioned um, and, and also owned kind of, you know, some overthrows here and there. I think in general, you know, first game on the road um, as a starter, definitely um, just not going to give you your, your Christmas performance. Obviously, Dino talked about before the game and, and after, too, that like uh, Liberty was really starting from a completely clean slate. Uh, because, you know, personnel, you really didn't know a ton. Uh, you didn't know a ton about scheme. Uh, it seemed like Liberty threw enough at us that uh, kept us guessing, and we were running, I'd say, maybe 20 to 30% of the playbook at most. That's um, not going to give you a ton of options. So I, I, I'm going to chalk all of all of what we saw in week one up to that um, for the time being. Obviously, you know, Maryland, I think we're going to see a lot more of this playbook, and, and we're going to see hopefully what's a much um, – a much cleaner and crisper Tommy DeVito out there with a passing game that's a little more effective than, than what we saw against Liberty. Yeah, I think you can both acknowledge that DeVito didn't play particularly well. He looked very rough early on, settled in a little bit as the running game came along. But also say, like, with all those things that you said, we were very unaware of what Liberty was going to look like on defense, and they came out basically 
um, to take away the deep ball, which is one of the strengths of his game and something that he, like, when he flashed last year in Florida State and North Carolina, it was in large part because he was unafraid to go, go deep and, and hit those bid passes uh, and open things up. Um, so, you know, film is very important in football. There's a reason why coaches, like, harp on it so much and spend mindless hours, like, just cr- uh, crunching it every week. Um, it does make a big difference in the fact that we really didn't know what Liberty's defense was going to look like at all uh, was definitely, you know, we had to lean on our talent, our talent advantage and, and ultimately it won out, but it took a little bit. Um, that being said, like, obviously we expect more from DeVito, but I, I'd be more concerned if we didn't have like a pretty decent chunk of, um, you know, film on him ourselves. Like we've seen him play very well against uh, obviously UNC and Florida State weren't great last year, but I, I, at least for Florida State, I would say they were pretty definitively better than Liberty this year. Uh, probably, um, I'd say 2018 UNC was probably better than 2019 Liberty. Um, they lost a bunch of closed games, including ours. Um, so I'm not going to freak out too much. I think, you know, you can be concerned about one game, but um, if he goes out and, and lays an egg against Maryland, then maybe we start to like, you know, wonder what the issue is. But, you know, one rough game we've seen, you know, we saw Eric Dungey have rough games. We saw Ryan Nassib have plenty of rough games. Um, that's not going to define what his whole season is. And if he goes and throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns against the Terps on Saturday, I don't think anyone's even going to bring this game up. So um, very much like an unwritten uh, like path moving forward here for DeVito. But um, I'm still not – I'm not overly concerned about one, you know, not even like horrible outing, just like not a, not a great one. Um, and he wasn't also – like we weren't asking him to do that much by the end too. We were uh, relying on our defense. We were relying on the run game. We kind of took what they were giving us. We weren't opening things up besides that, like, two running back package uh, that got a lot of press. So I am going to uh, withhold too much judgment until we get a little more, uh, a little farther into the season. Uh, and the Maryland game will probably tell us a lot. I think this is a much better test, and, um, you know, the talent will be much higher, and and obviously they're going through their own. Uh, you wouldn't call them growing pains after one game. They beat Howard 79 nothing. But uh, I'm also not going to take too much away from that game just because of the the level of competition that is. There's a, there's a big jump from Liberty or uh, from a Howard, which is like usually a, a bottom ish FCS program to Liberty, who um, is, you know, not a great FBS program by any stretch, but like they're not even among the worst G5s. So uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into either game, honestly, based on the, the situation. Football, you know, week one is also like when you can learn the least about teams, which is why for me and for a lot of other people, like, Playing a cupcake in week one is really the best way to go because if you don't bring your A game, that's usually okay. Um, obviously, Syracuse has seen what happens when they don't bring their even like C game uh, against an FCS opponent in the case of 2014 versus Villanova. But, uh, you know, looking at what SU did, like they, they very clearly were just kind of going through the motions. Um, that's just kind of a hallmark of how Dino's done things because he doesn't want to give a lot away. For the second straight year, we have a really big game in week three. Um, I think it was week three. Was week three the Florida State game last year? Potentially. Uh, that sounds right. I think that was week three. Yeah, I believe it was week three. If it was, then that checks out um, where Dino kind of withheld much from the playbook the first couple weeks and then, you know, th- had a lot more to throw at Florida State than they hadn't seen before. I think this year is going to be a lot of the same. Obviously, Maryland makes things a little bit harder because we're going to have to throw a little bit more at them um, in order to beat them because of their talent level. But um, I still think that he's going to withhold as much as he can for the Clemson game um, without obviously putting the win in jeopardy. Um, Liberty was the same thing. I mean, this game could have gone very differently. I know we talked about it in the uh, you know noon slack uh, while we were watch- all watching the game on Saturday. 
Um, the defense really came through, forced four turnovers. That was huge. Eight sacks, also huge. Um, Dino obviously trusts that group a lot. And, and while this might not have been what we expected of week one, maybe may have never expected of a Dino Babers team uh, to be able to shut out anyone, uh, never mind a pesky team like Liberty. Um, I think that this is a nice sign for what's kind of happening going forward where, you know, like we said in the season preview episode, this team relies on Tommy DeVito, but also can't, can't force him to play hero ball because it won't work. Yeah, I, I actually think the defensive performance has gone kind of, I wouldn't say unheralded, but I think people are, are putting more on the offensive struggles than they are taking away the defensive, the impressive defensive performance. It was our first shutout in like decades. I forget how far back it goes, but I think into the 80s, if not earlier. Um, obviously, Liberty's not great, but Hugh Freeze knows how to score points. Like the man's beaten Alabama as a head coach twice. Um, and it wasn't like we were just like keeping the ball away from Liberty. They had the ball for three fewer minutes which is not a huge difference. They ran um, 76 plays, which was just a few uh, less than us. Um, it really wasn't like we were, you know, doing anything. Uh, we were at 79, so it really was about the same in both type of possession and plays run. Um, it was, uh, they have a, I think Calvert's a, a decent quarterback, not great, but like in terms of the, the group of five, I think, you know, a lot of those teams would sign for him. Um, I thought they had a legit, talent in uh, Dandy Golden, who gave us all kinds of problems, but that was pretty, pretty much the extent of it. Um, you know, we've seen years past, like, we've been happy when we've beaten teams like, like last year, I think we beat UConn, who had a, you know, decent offense and just horrendous defense. We beat them by like, you know, 50 something to 21, like shutting out Liberty. Well, I don't expect them to be that explosive on offense this year. I think that will look a lot better in a couple of weeks because I do think Liberty will probably score a, a decent amount of points on lesser opponents. And I think our defense, um, it was also encouraging to see them kind of take pick up right where they left off last year, forcing turnovers, being opportunistic, um, mostly leading to good special team situations. Aside from the one muff pump by Moniel or not Moniel, uh, um, Riley, uh, yeah. a great brief return of sophomore year Riley before he got back to business. Yeah, and then he had a great return later. So you know, all no no uh, no foul like there. He was was very good after that, but. Um, no, it was it was nice to see the de- it, it made it seem like last year's uh, very opportunistic aggressive defense was not a fluke and was actually like something to build on because um, if we're going to be the type of team that can like shut anyone out and, and hold some teams down, we can really withstand whatever growing pains this offense might have. Uh, and I do think the offense will get much better uh, as we move along through the year. Um, and also the linebackers, which we're probably going to get to, but. Um, I know the defensive line, the defensive bats both had a lot of uh, ink spilled about them this year. The linebackers are the main concern. Um, I thought they played really well. I thought they, uh, they really, uh, obviously Liberty is not this huge rushing attack, but to hold uh, any FBS team to negative four yards in the ground, obviously that's sack uh, aided um, is really good. They're leading rush only at 29 yards. Uh, no one had over three yards of carry. Um, I thought overall, like the entire defense at all three levels played extremely well. So um Definitely don't want to like put that in the back burner while we focus on like a mediocre offensive performance because uh, if that defense plays the way it did uh, on Saturday, we're going to probably win a bunch of games no matter as long as the offense isn't like a total disaster. Um, so definitely plenty plenty of positives to take away from even if you uh, still have a sour taste in your mouth about a, a middling offensive performance. Yeah, I mean, by and large, like I think the offensive performance looked better as the game went on. I think the second and third quarters, third quarter in particular, I, I felt like the team looked a lot better. I think, you know, once Dino kind of got the team up 17-0, I don't really think he was worried about things just because of how good this defense played. 
Uh, I think, you know, for you and I and other people that watch this full game, uh, very, very different story than, you know, I, I think there's a lot of national pundits that are already like, you know, seemed like ready to like write off Syracuse a bit because um, they, they had this like quote unquote struggle narrative. And like if most other top 25 teams won a game 24, nothing like, I mean, no one would even care but because like SU is a high scoring offense and because they've kind of created a brand out of that, everyone was a little more skeptical, honestly, like, like you said, beating an, an opponent by 24 in week one is fine. Beating an opponent like Liberty, which has an ability to put up points uh, in, in a shutout is, is even better. I think, like you said, too, this defense, you know, really showed up. The the front was excellent, uh, just like across the line. I think the fact that, you know, there was no McKinley-Williams and we still got a great push um, against the run. Obviously, Alton Robinson uh, already started taking up a lot of attention and that freed up space for Josh Black, who had two sacks, Kendall Coleman, who had two sacks. Uh, kind of a throwback to, to, you know, those guys freshman year uh, when they first came in and they were kind of our top pass rushers. I feel like the linebackers struggled a little bit early on, um, but really did settle in. Like, Lockheed Williams ended up with 11 tackles, uh, two and a half for a loss, 1.5 sacks. Um, I think we're going to see already, like, a lot of uh... – are we going with Michael Jones? Did we decide I, that? I, I honestly still don't know. <laughs> we need to get is, a... is it in the pronunciation? Because I know they do have things in the pronunciation guide. It has we're, to be, right? Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. yeah. we're going to go with Mikel Jones. Um, he had, he was actually pretty involved and I felt like, like a really active linebacker, um, early, which was awesome. Um, we got to see, you know, a lot of Antoine Cordy, which was great and see him like kind of look like maybe himself from a few years ago, last time he was healthy. Um, obviously Alan Fritzinger got involved. Eric Coley was involved. Um, in general, this was just a, a great game to see a lot of different pieces out there and and then kind of what we talked about was just like seeing some of the freshmen um be able to get some ops and even though it took a lot longer maybe than we wanted it to um still still ended up seeing a lot of reserves uh and and i think we're gonna see you know even more of them as the season goes yeah one of the interesting things to me too is i was looking through the bot stores of our game and then also the maryland howard game and if you look in terms of like how disruptive uh, the defenses were, and again, we were playing a much more high-level opponent, especially offensively. Um, we had eight sats, they had eight sats, we had 14 tackles for a loss, they had 15. Like, we did deliberately uh, defensively, basically what Maryland did to uh, a, I think Howard's a little better last year, but like a pretty bad, generally, FCS opponent. Um, so I think uh, numbers-wise, like, there's a lot to take away here, and uh, I would guess that Liberty probably would have stored some points on Maryland if uh, if they had played last week. Not that I think that Liberty would have beat them or anything, but um, I think, like, defensively, uh, the fact that, like, the numbers are all are so similar despite a pretty big gap in opponent, um, you know, it's something to think about. Obviously, we didn't store 79 points, but I don't also, I also don't think we were trying to uh, make right. a statement like that. I think we were just trying to go down there and win the game and never talk about it again. Yeah, I think Loxley was actively trying to like, and I mean, it's not that he's running up the score, but I think Mike Loxley wanted to make sure that he made a statement in week one. And well, yeah. Loxley's a lot to uh, account for. <laughs> like, Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that hire was met with like a lot of uh, like questions because he has such connections to that program and he's, you know, has the recruiting hype and whatnot, but like he was a disastrous head coach at New Mexico. It wasn't like super obvious that he would get another head coaching gig except for this Maryland one. It might've been the one power five stool that would hire him um even after like a pretty good tenure at alabama 
um, as OC. So I, I kind of get why he did that. Plus, there was like the whole thing. It was the uh, the player who died in practice's jersey number, which I'm not sure if they were you know trying to go for that and like a Russell Westbrook type deal or if that just happened to, to work out. But um, yeah, I mean, if Babers really wanted to open up the playbook against Liberty and like had just like this vehement hatred for Hugh Freeze or something, which he clearly doesn't, uh, based on all the memes. Um, I think we probably would have uh, found a way to store like 49 or so. And, you know, we clearly were just trying to uh, keep some things under wrap for future games. Um, as you said, uh, most of the Clemson game, but, uh, you know, he basically admitted this week, like we broke some stuff out when the offense was struggling in this game. That'll probably be how things go throughout the season. And then Clemson, it's going to be all hands on deck as, as long as we're in it. So, um, Hopefully Maryland will be able to keep some more things under wrap, but I do think it'll be a much more competitive game as all the numbers uh, indicate here. Yeah, I mean, right now, now I know the line's kind of drifted to what it is. Is it down to SU's a two-and-a-half point underdog, or is it like one-and-a-half again? I, I saw two last, but I haven't been checking it uh, in the last couple hours. I mean, in any case, I don't really think it's going to drift much further than that. Um, it's not really indicative of much other than to say that, you know, Vegas saw a pretty tight game on the road for Syracuse, which is what the advanced metrics say. Um, a lot of action on Maryland um, shifted the line back the other way. And I'm seeing a lot of like overreaction from both fan bases and, and like media on this one. And really like, I mean, you know this, I know that you know both of us place bets from time to time, like a shift from two point favorite to two point dog is really not like this like monumental thing. And again, this is, this is still a toss up game, no matter which side of that line SU ends up on before this kickoff. Yeah, I think it was as much as like Syracuse minus like four or five, like earlier, probably preseason. But that's what happens when a team scores seventy nine points. You get a lot of. Uh, I haven't seen the breakdown of like who the who the sharps are on versus like just some of the general betting pool. But um, when you make a bit splashy, you know, win like that, you're going to draw some attention from like your your standard betters. So yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into the line. Anything within like. There's not a huge difference when you're within that kind of four, three or four point margin there, um, that like kind of home versus away margin. So yeah, uh, it, again, it's just nothing really worked up about. They're just trying to draw action on both sides. That's, that's what the line is. It's like it usually ends up being, or it often ends up being pretty indicative. Whenever they nail line completely, people freak out. But like their goal isn't to like nail the store; it's to get action on both sides. So people. Need to remind themselves of that sometimes when they get really worked up about uh, what Vegas is predicting, because that's not really what they're doing. Right. And yeah, like and Bill C put out his uh, S&P numbers today, and those were like the same thing. I think S&P predicted uh, a 54% chance that Maryland wins uh, by a score of 27-25, like... Again, but he has the, the, one spot ahead, so it's really like the home away difference there. Yeah, it's the, yeah, that's the thing. It's a home away difference. This is very clearly a toss-up, like... I, I if I don't think either side should be going in with so much confidence that they think they're going to steamroll the other. Um, I think this is just going to be an interesting game with two teams that, I mean, Maryland should theoretically have more talent on the field. The problem is they've yet to really put it all together despite recruiting better than SU for years now somehow. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in bits and, and like fits and starts. Like obviously they have back-to-back wins over Texas, which is one of the doofiest things. Uh, in some time, but then they, you know, when was the last time that, did they make a bowl under Durkin? I, I don't honestly remember. I thought they did the first year. Yeah, well, Durkin wasn't like a total disaster on the field. It was, it was the uh, this kind of scandals that did him in, but he also wasn't like killing it because he probably would survive them because it's college football and things don't matter. 
He was a pretty good recruiter, admittedly. He, you know what? He, yeah, he made the quick lane bowl and lost to Boston College back in 2016. He was a good recruiter. That's why. And like the SP Plus, uh, or SP Plus, sorry, it's 2019 now. Um, uh, it, part of that is, uh, or a big part of that is, is recruiting rankings in Maryland. Um, has recruited pretty well. They're in a very fertile recruiting ground. So uh, that, in large part, explains. And also, the SP, the SP Plus was not like super thrilled with SU last year for one reason or another. So, um, kind of explains the closeness there. But we are at, we were literally, I think, we jumped from fifty third to fortieth, and Maryland jumped way from like the seventies up to forty first after last week. Yeah, which I I always find weird. Like I I trust Bill's numbers, but I always wonder, um, like the wild swings don't don't always make sense and this is one of them like you know howard went four and six last year um they lost by like 40 to kent state last year so right. yeah let's not so again like let's not get carried away and look let's not get carried away with syracuse win either like liberty still is mostly guys who were recruited to play for an fcs team um you know, shutting them out's awesome. It's what we really should do, given how good defense is. And you know, Maryland beating Howard by as much as they did is probably you know what what, what they should do um, against that team. And, and you know, perhaps we would have done something similar if Dino was in his first season with a with a team like kind of built for his offense. But like, that's not what happened here. Like, I think I think Loxley, you know, getting Josh Jackson, having a really solid stable of running backs. Um, sets them up really well to get hit the ground running with his offense, but at the same time, like you know, th- th- things can happen. There, there's no guarantees that everything clicks, you know, against your first real opponent. Um, just because it did against Howard, I mean, we've seen it ourselves. Where you know, when Dino first got here, obviously, you know, putting some square pegs in the round holes. Like sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Even last year, when when things re- went really well, sometimes it worked. Uh, sometimes high Notre Dame game, it did not. So, you know, it's it's not to say that this game totally random, but to say that like I I would I would tend to trust the team structure and, and roster and personnel and coaching staff that's been together for a while over the one that that hasn't. Even even though that's only by a few points, I think that that coaching advantage is enough to potentially eke out a win, especially in in a toss up game like this. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I think. I also think our talent, like we've kind of proven here that um, our recruiting rankings are not super, like our, our staff has clearly done a very good job of finding diamonds in the rough, which has been a thing for all of these Syracuse programs that have thrived or like the, the good Marone years. Um, and now under Babers, like the sophomores that we have are a bunch of like three-star guys. And we have a pair of all Americans and a bunch of like guys like Trill Williams, who was, I thought really good. Uh, uh, Melifon, who was really good, um, guys who are stepping up and playing way above the recruiting rankings. So that's really ultimately what matters. Although I understand in baking the the general talent thing in, it's because like, yeah, it's, it's probably good to have like Alabama, which is loaded with five stars, and you have the uh, the famous Bud Elliott uh, blue chip ratio. Like it does tell you a lot. It's just when you're in these middling games between like a Syracuse and a Maryland, um, the coaching will uh, make a big difference. Um, and also, I pulled up the media guide. It is uh, Mattel Jones. I knew the media guide's just too large of a file for me to like have up all the time. Yeah, I just started. It is it is a beast. It took a like almost like a full minute to load. Um, but they're on page twenty eight. If you uh, are looking at home, we have the pronunciation for a a couple dozen uh, Syracuse players. 
um, many of whom are walk-ons who I was vaguely aware existed. <laughs> Speaking of walk-ons that people actually knew existed in this case, um, before we get to halftime, uh, congrats to Otto Zicardo uh, for getting a scholarship over the weekend. He played really well on special teams again and looked great, and now he will be a scholarship player for his senior year then, which is uh, pretty cool for him. Yeah, I mean, he's a, a total weight room warrior, uh, one of the strongest guys pound for pound on the team, one of the fastest guys pound for pound on the team. Uh, not a surprise that he'd be like a special team, like a key special teams player um, and have a pretty big role uh, on this team as a, a once non-scholarship and now scholarship player. So congrats to him. Uh, it's always super cool when a walk-on can, can earn that. And, and like, honestly, that's like probably life-changing for a lot of people. Um, obviously, if you're going to SU, like there's a decent chance that, you know, you, you've, you've done pretty well to to a point because it's uh, as we all are very intimately aware a very expensive school but i mean anyone getting a, a full semester or a full year uh ride at any point that's huge so awesome for him um and uh it sounds like he's deserved it 100 percent uh why don't we take a little break for uh our sponsor quick and we're back with some halftime um uh, dan what have you been drinking and what specifically were you nervously drinking during the first half of, of uh saturday's game uh, i was working during the uh game saturday so i was not drinking during it um but i have had some other things uh over the last few days i've been spending a decent amount of time up uh, at home in connecticut so i've had a lot of two roads uh most notably the honey spot road ipa the white ipa that i love um i've also had uh, some space dust from elysian uh which i found over here we- weirdly um, I had a Wolf Pup session from Golden Road, uh, which I had before. I thought it was actually really good. I don't. Uh, I think that's a California brewery, right? It is unfortunately owned by AB InBev as of like three three years ago, four years ago maybe. But yeah, they're actually uh, over here in LA. Well, their Wolf Pup, uh, Wolf Pup session was a uh, I thought really solid. And then uh, yesterday, probably the, bat, the the highlight of the week, I had a Super Shine uh, from Grimm down in Brooklyn. Um, which was a, a sour doza, um, kind of dry hop, so it had a really interesting flavor profile. Um, I think they actually do it in oak barrels, uh, and that was the first time I've had that one from them. But I've, you know, as you, if you listen all the time, you know, I'm a big fan of what they do down at Grimm. So that was really delicious. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm surprised you were able to find Elysian and Golden Road. I feel like, I feel like AB and Bev like bought all these regionals, and I thought they'd like keep them regional just for the sake of like owning the market. And I feel like instead they've just made them all national brands and cannibalize yeah. each other. It's, it's, it is a little weird. Like illusion you see here and there. Um, but I found that one in like the bar up by my parents place in Connecticut and then golden road. I forget where I was. I think it was in New York though. Um, kind of just a strange uh, inclusion both, but um, you know, solid drinks. So not complaining. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I used to uh, used to be a big um, Wolf Among Weeds, uh, the double IPA from Golden Road fan, uh, which is where Wolf Pup came from, is the uh, session version. And then they were point the way uh, sometimes is, is a good staple at Dodger Stadium if it's like not too expensive, which is no longer the case, unfortunately. Um, on my end, I had uh, Pizza Port Brewing, uh, the Jetty IPA. It's uh, one of their staples. Uh, really good West Coast style IPA, and it's like one of their first um, that they uh, made over there. Uh, Simcoe, Chinook, Cascade, and Amarillo hops. Uh, really, really good. Always love that one, whether I get it on draft there um, or if they finally have it in cans. So I was able to grab some uh, for a weekend trip up to Paso Robles. Had some Stone Tropic Thunder Lager that I always mention. Then I uh, hopped over to Firestone Walker. 
uh, and their uh, their headquarters. I've been to their other locations, but hadn't been to the headquarters yet. Um, had their single hop series, Brew One uh, Pale Ale. The uh, Napa Parabola uh, was a wine barrel aged uh, version of their Imperial Russian Stout that was really good. And then uh, their Zinskin uh, American Wild Ale uh, was aged in uh, Zinfandel barrels. So not a ton, but 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 had enough. I, I I did hold off from drinking during games. I usually try to avoid um, drinking during games and then imbibe afterwards. So three o'clock was like three o'clock on a Saturday was obviously like that kind of like iffy time where like I could have gotten away with it, but I just figured, you know what? Like let's just especially once things started getting like a little like not off the rails, but started getting a little weird. Like the last thing I wanted to do was just fuel any potential like panic. I mean, when 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 Hugh Freeze is coaching from a bed, uh, a weird press box bed, uh, I don't think anyone can really be blamed for like saying, "Okay, I, I need to have a beer or two for this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it'll be too early on Saturday if things go south against Maryland. Um, Nine a.m. kickoff out here, so things happen. Who knows? Actually, I was going to watch with my buddy who's a Purdue fan, but uh, he's no longer excited about this season after what, what befell them on Friday night. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things than losing to Nevada. Like, that's a pretty good team, generally. Well, I, no, I agree. But he's, he's, a, but he's a Purdue alum and a Saints fan. So imagine what his sports year has looked like. Oh, God. <laughs> Just from, like... If you like between the NCAA tournament, the NFC championship game and the bowl, just like, yeah, no, like swiped off the face of the earth. Probably just pretend the Ohio state game was the bowl game because my God. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a pretty rough sports year. So I'll just, uh, I think I'm just going to meet up with them after because I don't know what the hell is going to happen to Purdue in, uh, in, in that 9am Pacific time slot. Who are they playing? Let's find out. Ooh, Vandy. Ooh, I, that's a... Mm. <laughs> You're going to be able to tell the teams apart. <laughs> Pretty no. Vandy. That's, a, that's like a perfect, like, that's like if they seeded, like, uh, teams together uh, by where they finished the year before, like, for every conference or something. That'd be, like, a matchup we got all the time. Yeah, this is the, the, this is an easy, like, okay, if you're, like... Uh... Like farsighted, like what? Like, can you tell these teams apart? This is also like a perfect like eight nine game in the NCAA tournament, like a decade ago. Purdue that feels like a game Purdue should win because like Rondell Moore is so fun, but they just lost to Nevada and Vandy. Like, probably didn't look as bad as the Storm did against Georgia, and I think I could wouldn't be surprised if their defense kind of locked it up. Oh, Purdue! <laughs> wow, we actually found we actually found a way to have a new random team pop in. Yeah, I was not planning on talking about Purdue Vanderbilt in this podcast, but here we are. I was just annoyed because, um, what's it called? Our fantasy league couldn't start until week two for some stupid reason. So I missed out on, on, on Rondell Moore's contributions in week one. Yeah, I missed out on a solid 30 points from Sam Ellinger, but uh, Ruggs only had like two points last week because uh, the Alabama receiving core might be tough to judge outside of Judy. So uh, we'll see how it does this week, although the, my matchups are way harder. Yeah, I, uh, I purposely avoided SEC West teams um, just because of the caliber of defenses over there. I usually try to opt for as many uh, Big 12 teams as possible. That's very fair. Um, I hate these week two buys that people have. Yeah, they're trash. Like Iowa State, like I was like, I would like to 
maybe not play Sam Ellinger versus uh, LSU, but Brock Purdy is my backup, and Brock <laughs> Purdy is chilling on the bench for reasons that are beyond me. Well, I've, I, I've got the, uh, the the Virginia double play with uh, with Ryan Willis on the bench and um, and Bryce Perkins as my starter. Oof. We're talking about the Noons Magician Fantasy Football League for those who have who have not tuned out at this point. Something uh, that like nine people are interested in. <laughs> yeah, well, well, ten hopefully since there are ten teams in the league. But, I guarantee you, there's one that's like, oh yeah, I'm in this. Oh what yeah, they Eh, no, Axe is Axe is pretty uh like he's pretty dedicated to this. Like like Axe is on the ball. I feel like uh I feel like there's a couple of, I feel like there's a couple of our guys who 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 could do could check out pretty quickly. But in any case, um just just the uh random shit clearing house that 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 is sometimes the uh the these portion after halftime. Uh Tulane beat FIU forty two to fourteen. Um, I am much more encouraged about the green wave making the bowl game now. Tulane looks like they're doing some things like the, uh, they, they're like, they, what they, I didn't see the game. They changed up the offense a bit, right? They're not like pure, pure, uh, option. Yeah, now. They're, they're, they're now like uh, option polygamous. Uh, that's okay. I mean, FIU is not a bad opponent. Like no, I, they're, they're actually probably like a seven and five conference USA team. Yeah. Like that's a really nice dominant win for, for Tulane. Um, and then, uh, was it Houston that has him next week? And I like during that Oklahoma game, I think I remember people like talk about how, how the Houston, like Tulane's not an easy week to draw. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, if Tulane beats Houston, I, the, the AAC West goes through them. <laughs> yeah. If Tulane, that, that's, and I think Houston looked pretty decent. All things. Yeah, they did. But, um, and they should be good. Like they have a very good coach. They're very talented. Um, but Tulane, maybe uh, this might be the year where they make some some serious noise. Not just like like obviously last year was a really nice step forward for our our uh, our boys down in in New Orleans. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the 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 gamble is paying off here. And credit to the staff for like not getting stuck <laughs> in their ways and actually like you know changing some stuff up and trying to take advantage of the roster. I agree. Go Green Wave. Um, all right. So the rest of this time, we can talk a little bit more about the Maryland game. Again, we really can't learn a lot from anybody's usage rate, anybody's stats. I mean, Josh Jackson looked good. Obviously, he had like over 270 yards passing, four touchdowns, didn't really need to get utilized much. Um, they actually didn't really use much of Anthony McFarlane Jr., which I thought was really smart because he's their best arguably running back. Um, they decided to give him a little bit of a break. He had just six carries for 18 yards, however, uh, but two touchdowns. Uh, that's an interesting line for me, if only because yards per carry, man, but two touchdowns indicates he was probably closer to the goal line in both of those. So I'm sure he was fine. Uh, Jake Funk, uh, Tayon Fleet Davis, uh, actually no. I feel like I've, I've, I don't really know anything about Jake Funk. I've heard of Tayon Fleet Davis before uh, looking up these, uh, these numbers. Uh, Fleet Davis got the majority of the carries, 16 for 79 yards. Uh, Jake Funk had 12 uh, carries for 79 yards as well, but obviously a better average, one touchdown. Um, I think not a lot of people are super impressed with uh, Maryland's offensive line. I think that'll be something interesting. Then again, I'm not super impressed with our offensive line after week one. So uh, this could be a battle of who gets sacked less. Um, I do think obviously that SU has a major advantage there in terms of defensive fronts, however. Yeah, the offensive line is probably now... Uh, the single biggest concern for us. Not that they were like, 
you know, we I think DeVito attacked twice against Liberty, but the push, especially early on um, in the Bad. running game, was, was not good. Like, we were letting Liberty get a lot of inside penetration. Um, I think uh, we, we don't know uh, Heckel's status, right? He's still questionable. The upper body injury, questionable. I'm going to guess he doesn't go. And not that I don't want to see him in, but, like, Aaron Service actually played really well, um, both when he was inside and outside. In this game, it actually felt like the offensive line might have looked better when he shifted inside, which was shocking considering that, like, he's a better fit for, oh, at least on paper, as a tackle. Yeah, I, I, it definitely looked better in the second half, which is basically when that switch happened. Um, I don't know if that was because uh, the staff was able to make their, like, big sweeping adjustments and we got a, a sense of what the uh, the – uh, Liberty defense looked like by that point, or if the offensive line kind of configuration was just better in the second half, um, I think we'll find out. But but going into the game, uh, Baber said like the offensive line is not a not a set thing. We were still going to try to figure out what works best. So um, hopefully we'll start to you know whatever tinkering we do this week will will work out well. But it was interesting that that not that I think Heckel's not one of the five best linemen on the team. I think he is, but it's interesting that. Uh, the line definitely performed better after his injury when like when that was announced, I was pretty nervous. Yeah. I mean, part of it too, could just be getting worn down a little bit uh, over the course of the game. Um, you know, cause then SU was also able to plug in Ryan Alexander who hadn't really gotten a lot of burn to that point. So now they had some fresh legs, obviously just having bigger players um, than Liberty up front definitely helps. And it's going to, I mean, we can attest in, in recent years until like the last couple um, you know, when, when you're when you're a lot smaller up front and in the trenches, like you're going to get beat up pretty quickly, and that's going to result in injuries. It's going to result in exhaustion. Like SU's been there, um, so it's nice to be able to you know not be the smaller team anymore necessarily. And you look up and down this offensive line; it's really big dudes, and, and that's again something that like when we first got to the ACC, um, our offensive linemen were like six one, six two, and like you know two seventy, like that. You're you're going to get bullied all day, and and that's just not the case anymore with our guys. Where you know maybe they're hanging around two ninety to three hundred, but they're also super athletic and, and quick, um, and much more power five caliber. Um, and I guess that's where like the conversation around well, like whatever Maryland did well in the trenches um, last week, and whatever we did well in the trenches last week, maybe throw it out if only because the level of competition, especially in the trenches where it's critically important, um, is going to jump up considerably now. Yeah, especially like when you talk about the depth between like an FBS program and a you know a fully funded one versus Howard, which uh, you know a huge portion, a, ho- a huge issue with uh, the HBCUs in general is like funding. Um, I think they're probably at uh, what sixty scholarships at the FCS level in general. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a big difference. It's been, and, and depth in the D line is huge, as we saw with us last week. Uh, you know, we had basically two full units play, and I thought everyone played really well. Um, and having that on offensive line, uh, even if it's, you know, you're kind of shaking things up and trying to see who ride the hot hand a bit, uh, it's nice to have options there and bringing a guy like Alexander, who was an all Sunbelt player off the bench. Like that's a, that's a nice thing to have, even if he now steps into the starting rotation or, or ends up playing most of the game. Um, but, uh, also I thought it was, uh, it's good. And we talked about it going into the game that we, we really don't need to overburden any of our backs. Um, Mo had 17 total touches, Adams at 16, Howard at 10, all three I thought looked pretty pretty good in in different spots. Mo was obviously probably the breakout guy for the team, uh, leading the team in total yardage and storing. Um, but I thought they all had their moments, and that's what we were kind of looking for going in. Uh, they're all pretty different backs that have their different strengths, and um, I think it'll be 
you know, kind of that way, hopefully more effective and efficient throughout the year. But I think that's how it'll look uh, all season long because you can't really keep all three of those, any of those three guys off the field. I don't think they're too talented as a group. I definitely thought Howard was running better than he did last year, or at least was running at the same level he was when he was, you know, at his best last year. Obviously, like the Florida State game, the UConn game where he was really at his peak. Um, so I really liked what we saw from him. I thought Abdul Adams ran really well. I thought Mo Neal um, finally getting involved in the passing game a little bit more, as you and I and others um, on the site have been kind of clamoring for for the last few years. I think we're going to see a lot more of those running back screens, which may actually cut into what Nikeem Johnson and Sean Riley get in terms of work. Um, but we'll see. Uh, who knows, like, if if after week one, you know, opponents make the adjustment because Mo Neal was open for the same play, uh, you know, three or four times. And, you know, that, that that's why he was such a, a key part of the receiving game um, in this one because they found a way to quickly exploit Liberty in the flat. Uh, switching focus over to Maryland as, as a team and a roster, um, Dan, obviously, Josh Jackson is, you know, a big concern. He's mobile. Uh, mobile quarterbacks have kind of feasted on us in the last decade plus for some reason. It doesn't matter who's on the defense. It doesn't matter who's coaching the defense. It doesn't matter who's coaching the entire team. Uh, we've just fared poorly for the most part against mobile QBs. So I think that's something to watch, especially with a linebacker group that has some question marks. Um, Anthony McFarland, I think, is going to be an interesting test for this front line considering how well he looked last week against the run but like who's the who's the big name on on maryland's offense uh at least that that you're really looking at beyond those two um it's it's hard to look past jackson he's been pretty much he's been pretty impressive his entire uh his entire college career at quarterback for maryland the problem is he hasn't been able to stay on the field um he i think in 2017 which i believe was his i think it was his true freshman season um, he put up really solid numbers at 20 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 2,800 yards, uh, and is a, a, a bit of a running threat, not like a, a huge, uh, huge one, but he had 20, uh, over almost 300 yards and a couple touchdowns. And then the last couple of years, like his efficiency numbers have been really good. He's been, uh, you know, around nine or 10 yards in a, an attempt, but hasn't really played that much. So, you know, obviously everyone knows about the Maryland, the like, what feels like, uh, almost a decade of, Maryland quarterback injury issues, but he's been in the center of that. Um, but beyond that, it's kind of hard to get a great sense of like the receiving core because they just were all so involved. Uh, because Howard was very overmatched. Um, Dante Demas was like the, the guy who jumped out to see the two touchdown catches had a hundred yards, um, but they really spread it around. So I'm not really sure where the focus will be uh, overall. Um, but it's you know it all starts with Jackson and I think if uh, you disrupt him and get him uh, uncomfortable it'll it'll really change the uh, the feeling of the game. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the more he's under pressure, the more he's under duress, um, the more he is going to be, the more he's going to be forced to maybe take some risks and like that's what you saw. I mean, I think uh, what's his face, Calvert, Buckshot. Um, Buckshot, who, you know, when, when, when you're watching a local broadcast on ESPN Plus and, and, and from the beginning, you're just hearing about Buckshot the whole time as if he's the quarterback on the top 25 team. Um, you, you can kind of get confused for a bit. Um, I was also just looking at the Virginia Tech uh, Syracuse box score from 2016 to see if Jack, Jackson got any burn in that one. Um, he did not. So he might know a little bit about Syracuse's attack, but admittedly, I mean, the, almost all the personnel is different, so... I was more just curious to see if he had gotten any run in that one. But no, Jared Evans had, had all of the uh, attempts for the Hokies in that, uh, that monumentous orange win. 
really really a, a, a view like a weird uh view into how strange the last three seasons of virginia tech football have been i we don't have to get into it on this episode but no it's they, they, time, but. they look like trash against bc yeah i hope that doesn't say that much about bc i hope i hope it says more about virginia tech than it does bc considering i get a feeling it does and that's why bud foster's leaving yeah i yeah not to go into it too far but i really thought the front they hire was good and it might not have been it just seemed like he, he was one of those coaches. I mean, and this is what happened. You have like football guys, you know, come in. Is like some of them are like, "Yep, you know what? Like, this is my team. This is my like, like I'm just gonna go in, like, be kind of a dick, and like just just like institute my ways and everything." And like realistically, like they've had a ton of attrition, uh, and then that's not been aided by a ton of injuries on top of said attrition. Um, Fuente doesn't seem like the most popular guy um, in the locker room right now, and. When you see like Virginia, you know, right in the rearview mirror, kind of rising very quickly, and uh, you know, a lot of other coastal teams kind of getting more talented quickly. Like, Vatech has been talented over the last two decades, but has also directly benefited from um, what's been a pretty like you know one or two team deep um, coastal or just complete parity in the coastal. Um, and now it, I think you're starting to see a little bit of separation from some other schools. Um, they're just not recruiting necessarily at the same level. They're not getting the same level of coaching output. So that's definitely problematic for them. And, and yeah, I, I, I do think it said more about Virginia Tech in that one than it did uh, about BC. Yeah, because say what you will about BC, but you know what you're going to get. So it's not like, uh, you know, it, it's not like they were surprising anyone with their effort. Like it didn't seem like a much different BC team, uh, aside from maybe Brown looked a little better, but he had moments last year too. So uh, yeah, Hokies might be in a, a weird spot, and hopefully it's not Boston College finally having a weird... I just break out year be like eight wins for them, but a uh, <laughs> weird, like, big step forward. Uh, but we'll find out ourselves uh, pretty, you know, soon enough. Um, not to get too off the rails here. No, well, AJ Dillon's not going to be able to walk by that point, so we'll be fine. <laughs> I hope... He's my fantasy team, so if he wants to, like... <laughs> he takes that week off, I'm fine, but otherwise he can he can hopefully run for some yards for me. Fair enough, then fair enough. The all, the all important news position fantasy league. Brent said he was going to talk about it on his radio show too, so I feel like we're not the only ones on this. Oh, there we go. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, we're, if you if you are in the if you are a serious media uh, participant, uh, you are going to hear about this fantasy league no matter what. You have no choice. There's honestly not a ton of people not in the league now. That's true. Yeah, there's only a handful. We'll, we'll, we'll invite the rest next year, I swear. Um, back on topic, um, I don't really have a lot to take from like the defensive side of the ball, just yeah. because it, it's the same thing. Like, I think there's certain guys who, like, like, like Antoine Brooks is one of like the best returning tacklers, and I thought he looked good in the first game. Um, other than that, like, there's a decent amount of turnover here. There's a lot of young guys who saw a ton of time out there. And I don't have like every single like, you know, crib sheet on these guys in front of me. And if this many freshmen and sophomores are going to be out on the field, though, um, for Maryland in Saturday's game, I'm I'm pretty encouraged. But I feel like Lockley did kind of hold back a, a decent amount of veterans on both sides of the ball once uh, once that game got out of hand quickly. Yeah, I think it's both a good. It's like uh, it might spell trouble if they're relying on a ton of uh, freshmen against a, a pretty detailed dynamic offense uh, hopefully that is what the offense we have next week uh or this weekend but um it could be a good a good 
thing for the long term, getting those kind of guys in. I also know they got a pretty big infusion of uh, transfer talent, too. I know Loxley was pretty active uh, in the old transfer portal, um, bringing guys in. So I definitely think there's some talent on that defense. Again, it's just like, I'm not going to lean that much for my demon. It's Howard. Um, honestly, we, we they ran the ball. Technically, they ran the ball better than we than uh, Liberty did against us. They they had a whole yard. Um, but uh, it's really it's it's tough to to really take too much away from from any of these. The the quarterbacks were just not effective at all. They tried three different guys. Uh, went eight for nineteen as a group for sixty seven yards. It's not going to get anything done. And then. Um, they had three guys over 10 yards on the ground, but just not much to write home there. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, you'd rather uh, win 79 nothing and then not against Howard. But uh, for our purposes, like, you almost have to say, like, it's almost like Maryland's week one in terms of trying to get a read off of what they actually look like. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, just looking at that transfer portal stuff that you had mentioned um, on top of Josh Jackson, they got uh, Sean Savoy from uh, Virginia Tech, who was uh, eligible immediately. Tyler Mabry, the uh, tight end from Buffalo, who was really good last year. Um, he's eligible immediately. Uh, Keandre Jones, outside linebacker from uh, Maryland, who is definitely going to make some noise um, in this game. Uh, he had three tackles. I, like I said, I wouldn't take too much in the defensive stats. Um, also, Shaq Smith, the uh, Clemson transfer, who knows us a bit. Um, he also had three tackles, and he'll be a much bigger part of this game. Um, did Marcus Lewis play, or did he get injured? Sorry, I know this is great radio. But played against tackle. Yeah, Marcus Lewis did play. Marcus Lewis comes in, um, is from Maryland. What's his transfer? So he was going to transfer, and then he didn't? Sorry, I'm looking at like a transfer portal site. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, looks like Marcus Lewis transferred from Florida State. Cool. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So, obviously, it's a lot of, like, not just sort of transfers, but like, big-name transfers. Um, and a lot of those guys got some burn in week one, which helps them, like, kind of acclimate a bit. You know, Mabry, who I mentioned, uh, he did pretty well for Buffalo last year. He had one catch for 24 yards. This one, last year, 27 catches, 230 yards, two touchdowns um, for the Bulls. I know the Bulls hemorrhaged a lot of uh, talent via NFL and transfer uh, this offseason. And uh, it seems like Maryland got one of them. Maybe we should have gotten Mabry. I don't know. Um, so, Dan, like, what do you what do you think is going to happen in this one? Because obviously, like, we both kind of intimated that here he's going to win. But, like, what kind of game do you see happening here? I know the over-under has been somewhere in, like, the 56 to 58-point range. Yeah, I, I see most people saying you should probably take the under. I think that's um, probably both like a don't overreact to the 79 points plus Syracuse's tw- uh, uh, store, you know, offense is a question mark. Um, I kind of lean that way, though, too. Uh, I think our defense will come to play. Um, I, I feel pretty com- I feel probably more comfortable than I should in this game, considering the, like, not total panic, but, like, the weirdness people have after Liberty and Howard games. Um, I'm going to go uh, – I'll go Syracuse – I'll do a weird story. I'll do 31-19, so a 50 total. Yeah, I'm going to go a little over, but like closer to the original line. Uh, I'm saying 31-28 Syracuse. Um, I think that Maryland gets some things going early, but then SU's defense kind of settles in, forces some turnovers. I think Tommy DeVito starts slow again, but then also settles in. 
Um, I think the offensive line takes a little time to adjust, but overall, like once the run game gets going, once Tommy gets comfortable, I, I, I think we end up having a little bit of an advantage. I think this is going to be one that is down to the wire, though. Um, it's going to scare the crap out of all of us for the majority of the early afternoon slash morning, if you're me. Um, definitely did not want to start the season with two straight nail biters, uh, but that's probably what we're headed toward. Yeah, it probably helps that, like, A, we've seen Mike Lotsley offenses for a long time now. Um, John Hope, their defensive coordinator, is a known commodity. I think this will be have a lot less... Um, I guess we, it's like not unknown because we've just spent like a whole podcast saying we don't know that much about Maryland based on like what the first game looked like. But I think in terms of like what their schemes will look like and what their players do, um, I think we'll, we'll, our coaches will be more well prepared for this game than they were the Liberty game because of all the like randomness that came with playing that team. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, do, do you see any kind of look ahead uh, potential here? Or do you think that, that Dino and his team are kind of past that behavior? Since uh, since what happened against Middle Tennessee a couple of years ago, uh, I think it's always like vaguely a concern. But I think playing Maryland, which um, you know has a bunch of talents, a P five, uh, it's not like this total walkover. Um, and the fact they just stored seventy nine points, I think there's enough stuff to provide us like some. Uh, we won't have to worry about it too much. Um, obviously, the Clemson game is like the game everyone's been talking about for a while. So if there is a bit of a look ahead, uh, look ahead situation. You know, I, I think that that does happen in college football. It's hard to avoid, but I think enough has gone on here where our guys should be focused. It probably also helps that it's on the road. Yeah, I agree there. And obviously, like, too, Dino's been so focused on you, – you've hear, heard him all offseason saying, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about Clemson. I'm worried about game one against Liberty, game two against Maryland first. Um, I think that, that that very much speaks to how this team's been dealing with things and how they've been, you know, viewing the season kind of one game at a time. So – Hopefully we see that in action on the field and then hopefully uh, SU can again take this one home and then we'll get game day and, and a lot of content and it'll be a lot of fun for, uh, for Syracuse fans everywhere. Yeah, that's going to be, uh, obviously we don't want to count our chickens yet, but um, should Syracuse win, it does look like we will hopefully get game day. Uh, and assuming Clemson doesn't, well, even if Clemson loses to Texas A&M, I think we'd probably yeah, still be a top it. 10 team. Um, yeah, like that would be, it would be one of the craziest uh, atmospheres at the Dome, uh, sold-out game. Like, uh, that'd be incredible. But obviously, there's some work to take care of first. Agreed, agreed. SU, take care of that work. Uh, <laughs> Dan, anything else before we uh, depart this week? No, it's edited into it. Uh, hopefully, the offensive rebounds and we can all, like, kind of chill out for after a, a week one that uh, ultimately wasn't that dramatic, but uh, for a bit there, like, seemed like, had some of the dose of yesteryear haunting us, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm still optimistic about this team. I, I think we, uh, we should learn a lot more this week, which is nice. Green, agreed. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to Troy Noons and absolute podcast. You can rate review, subscribe on iTunes, on blog talk, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on any other podcast service you listen to and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>